Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. And on today's broadcast, I want to talk to you on the subject of God is love. And I want to share with you some specific reasons why we can believe that God is love. Now, maybe you're listening to the broadcast today and, and your life is filled with worry. Your life is filled with anxiety. Well, I want to tell you what Corey Tin Boone said about worry. Now, if there's anybody that was alive on this planet that should have been fearful, that should have been filled with worry, it would have been Corey Tin Boone. But she said, worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving in tomorrow way ahead of time. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And maybe today you're feeling overwhelmed and you think that God doesn't care about you. God doesn't know about you. But I want you to know he does. He is involved in your life. He created you. He has sustained you. He will sustain you. And he is with you every step of the way. Uh, But maybe you need a little bit of humor in your life to lighten things up just a little bit. And so I love to tell dad jokes. Dad jokes are not intended to be really funny. They're kind of intended to lighten the mood just a little bit. And and one of those dad jokes, when they're given, they're designed for you to say, oh, that was a bad dad joke. Well, here's the first one. What's a dentist's favorite hymn? What is the dentist's favorite hymn? Crown him with many crowns. One other before we get into the message today. Uh, Did you hear about the kid napping at school? Yeah, yeah, there's a kid napping at school. Well, he woke up. Uh, That's really bad, too. Uh, So don't uh, judge me by the bad dad jokes, uh, because today we're talking about a really important subject, the fact that God loves us. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed by that fact. Sometimes I'm not in tune with that fact, but it doesn't change the fact that God loves me unconditionally. And so uh, I did some research. And I did some research with three different research companies. Gallup, I got some information from them. I got some information from Pew Research. And then I got some information about religious news service. And they all said basically the same thing. They discovered that 81% of Americans express a belief in God. And as we look at this belief in God, this is a most recent stat that I could find. This is June of 2022. They go back a little bit in history, and they said uh, 81% is where we are today. In 2017, we were at 87% of Americans believe in God, and we were at the second highest level in 1944, where 96% believed in God, but the highest level that we have was between the 1950s and the 1960s, where 98% of Americans believed in God. And a lot of neat things happened at that time, but a lot of strange things happened at that time. Uh, For example, uh, that phrase, in God we trust, okay, that was put on our coins back in the 50s and the 60s. We had a different mindset within our culture back at that time. We were a God-fearing country. Uh, We had come out of the war. We were going into the 50s and times of prosperity. And good things were happening. And so there was a high level of belief in God. So Pew Research in Gallup and Religious News, uh, they discovered that um, that over 90% of Americans believe, if they don't believe in God, they believe in a higher power. But they also believe that because of their relationship with God, they are more benevolent. They're more giving toward others because of God's love. Because they've experienced God's love, 
Uh, An overwhelming majority of Americans say they have experienced God's love, and because of that experience, they have been more willing to help those who are in need. Well, let's talk about what keeps us from experiencing God's love. Uh, Why is it that the number of people that believe in God is starting to decrease? Why is it the number of people that are are experiencing God's love is starting to also decrease? Well, C.S. Lewis, I think, has a little bit of insight into that. I'm going to talk about C.S. Lewis and and his family situation at the end of the broadcast tomorrow. But he said this, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. What is holding us back from experiencing God, believing in God, is pride. We don't believe in God because we are living a life that is contrary to the way that God wants us to live. So we have created another God in our own image. But let's look at the whole subject of God is love and why we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is love. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. John is writing, and he gives us the definition of love. He says, this is love. It's not that we love God. That's what we would think. Uh, I love God. This is love. As a matter of fact, when my son was just a little guy, maybe five or six years old, I gave him one of those children's Bibles. And he loved that Bible. And on one side of the Bible, he wrote, I love God. (laughs) And he spelled God G-U-D, okay, instead of G-O-D. And then the other side, on the inside of the Bible, he says, God is love. So I love God and God is love. Or we think that the way we discover what love is all about, we figure out what we love. But that would be a tainted form of love. Here, John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here, John gets real personal. He says, now, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then he gets a little more specific. And he says, you know, nobody has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So John is saying, God is love, and he loved us first. And because he loved us first, we can have a relationship with him because he takes the initiative. We know that we have this relationship with him, even though we have never seen him, because we have the capacity to love somebody else. So the way that we know that we love God and we can measure the amount of love that we have for God is really based upon how we love other people. So what keeps a person from receiving God's love? Well, I think it's really, when you drive home this thought about loving God, I think it's far more unbelievable that God loves me than I love him. When you think about it, everything I have, really, God has given me. Uh, We are breathing right now with the air that God has given us. We are processing oxygen through lungs that God gave us. Everything we have, God has given to us. And even if we don't love him, even if we deny his existence, it doesn't change the fact that he still has given us his love. You see, when we think about grace and God's love, uh, there's common grace. Common grace is given to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. You are a recipient of God's common grace. That is, he gives you 
this beautiful creation to enjoy. He gives you a body that can absorb nutrients and a body that can produce, a body that can uh, walk, a body that can go to work every day. All these things God has given to us and he gives us to all people regardless of what they feel about him. That's called common grace. Now, saving grace is something that is given specifically to those who believe. It's redemptive grace. It is those who have received the free gift of salvation. They are a recipient of God's love, and it's much deeper than just common grace. It is saving grace. He has redeemed us. So God's grace means that I can trust God's love for me, not my love for him, because my love for him is very fickle. As a matter of fact, as we are recording this broadcast, I I just recently heard of another pastor uh, who had to step down because of some, I guess you could say, unwise use of social media. And as a result of unwise use of social media, he's taking a little bit of break. He hopes to come back, and I think he's doing the right thing. I think the church is handling that situation well. But I'm so glad my love is not what determines how much God loves me. God doesn't love me because I first loved him. I love him because he first loves me. Well, let's go through some reasons one by one as to why I know that God loves me. The first reason is that he delights in me. Now, I want to look at an Old Testament book, and it's a minor prophet. It's the book of Zephaniah. Now, I know you probably didn't read anything from Zephaniah this morning. Uh, But this is what Zephaniah said in Zephaniah 3, verse 17. He says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with a song. Now, I know that Jesus loves me, God loves me, for the Bible tells me so. But I know that he loves me because he takes great delight in me. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I think about when I first met my wife. I took great delight in her. Uh, She had been praying for me, and uh, we had some mutual friends, and and I was in a very bad car accident. And uh, I had spent a summer recovering from a car accident. It was between my sophomore year and my junior year in college. And, and because we had some mutual friends, even though I had never met Sherry at that time, she was praying for me. And that fall, she was coming into uh, Liberty University as a freshman, and I was entering my junior year. And so I was a couple years ahead of her, and I remember her coming to the bookstore where I worked, and uh, she wanted to meet me in person, and I remember the first thing she said to me. She says, I wanted to meet you in person because I've been praying for you all summer. And when she saw me, I tell you what, I delighted in her, but I don't know that she delighted in me. I was actually in a in a body cast, and I had knocked out my front two teeth. I, I had a broken le- uh, back, and so I don't think in her case it was love at first sight. Uh, but I tell you what, I delighted in her. I wanted to get to know her better. I, I wanted to have a relationship with her, and so I was not going to be shy about that. I was not going to hold back anything. I was going to pursue her because I took delight in her. You know, God does the same thing for us. We're not pursuing him. The initial pursuit is by God himself. He loves us first. And Zephaniah reminds us that God loves us so much that he actually 
rejoices over us. He sings songs over us. Isn't that cool to think that Jesus sings some songs over us? You know, I can try to convince you that you are precious in the sight of the Lord. And you may be thinking, well, hey, that's sweet uh, that God delights in me. But it's more than just a passing thought. It's more than just a loving thought. It is actually the key to our deliverance. God delivers us from our sins because he delights in us, because he loves us. Isaiah prophesied as to how this was going to look and how this was going to work. In Isaiah 43, he says, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'm going to be right there with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they're not going to overwhelm you. They're not going to overflow on you. And when you go through a fire, you will not be burned. That flame shall not kindle upon you. That flame shall not catch on fire on you. Why? Because the Lord delights us. I think Isaiah here is talking specifically about the fact that we will not be eternally separated from God if we have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ because he takes delight in us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I know that God loves me because he takes great delight in me. I also know that God loves me because he is devoted to me. Now, it's one thing to be delighting in somebody, but it's another thing to be committed to somebody, right? Uh, This is a higher level of commitment in a relationship. And we see here that he is devoted to me. And nothing can separate me from God's love. This is how Paul put it in Romans chapter 8. He says, I am convinced. Uh, And nothing's going to talk me out of this because I know this is true. I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither any height or any depth, nor anything in all of God's creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I don't know about you, but that is so good to know that God is devoted to me. You know, that word devotion, according to the American College Dictionary, it means ardent, often selfless affection and supreme dedication. Uh, You see, God is that committed to me. Uh, Nothing's going to stop him from pursuing this relationship with me. Uh, He has a strong level of loyalty to me. He is enthusiastic about me, and he is very much involved in my life. And God wants to have this relationship with me, and he is devoted to having this relationship with me. And I'm so glad. You know, I think sometimes as I look at my life, sometimes I say, you know, I'm not the best friend in the world. I I wish I was a better friend, and I wish I could be more devoted to my friends. I'm so glad that God's devotion to me is not based upon my devotion to him, because I fail him often. But he is very long-suffering, he is very patient with me, and he is very devoted to me, not because of how good I am, but because of how great he is. You think about a successful marriage, and I think about our men that might be listening to this broadcast today, 
and you're looking at your marriage and you're wondering why in the world are things not as intimate as it could be? Why don't I enjoy being married like I used to be? I think it has to do with this matter of devotion. Are you devoted in your wife? Are you delighting in her? You know, the Bible is very clear that our devotion to our spouse is not based upon how much they love us. We are to love our wives, and Peter is real specific, and he says you're to love your wife because she is a weaker vessel. Now, that's not an insult, okay? That's not saying she's a weakling. It's just saying that God created women different than us. They are very fragile, but they are very valuable, so they should be protected. And that word weakness does not mean that they have no strength. I think a lot of women are emotionally stronger than men. I think Peter is driving home the fact that most women are not physically as strong as most men. And so they should be protected because they have this beauty about them. It's like a beautiful vase, right? A beautiful vase is fragile, but it's very valuable. So you don't put it in a place where it's going to get damaged. And so being devoted to your wife... It's not based upon her devotion to you. It's an unconditional love that you have for her. You hold her in high esteem because you sow the light in her. What happens after we get married for a few years? We tend to take one another for granted. And we tend to lose that devotion. We tend to lose that delight. But God never loses his delight in us. And we should constantly be working on having that delight for our spouses. So I know that God loves me because he delights in me. God loves me and he is devoted to me. But here's the third thing. I know that God loves me because he loved me first. He took the initiative. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Now, behind this verse is a theme that God took the initiative in this relationship, but it's even deeper than that. As we look at this verse, we love because he loved us first, it is talking about God making the first move, but it's also implying in this verse is that I had the capacity to love God because he loved me first. If he had never loved me first, I would have no capacity to love him back, and I could not love other people back if he didn't love me first. That love would be a tainted love. That love would be a polluted love, but because he loved me perfectly, I can love others. He gives me that capacity as he took that initiative in a relationship with me. So John says, we love because he first loved us. That's why the church ought to be the most loving community, because we are comprised of believers, right? who are called out of sin, called out of the world, and called into a relationship with God and into a relationship with other believers, all made possible because God loved us first. There's a fourth thing that I think we we can spend some time talking about on the broadcast today when it comes to this matter of why do I know that God loves me? I tell you, I know that God loves me because he loves me forever. This is not a passing fad. He loves me forever. David the psalmist said this in Psalm 136, beginning at verse number one. He said, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Now, what does that mean? His love endures forever? That means there is no end to it. It is an everlasting love. 
a love that has no beginning, a love that has no end. His love endures forever. And then he says it again, give thanks to the Lord, the God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. So three times in three verses, David reminds us that God's love endures forever. If his love endures forever, it is not a fickle kind of love. It is a deep abiding kind of love. You know, researchers are tracking the temporary nature of infatuation. The New York Times recently reported on a major study, and they tracked 1,761 people who got married and stayed married for at least 15 years or longer, okay? Uh, So we're not talking about newlyweds. We're not talking about people that have been married five or six years. We're talking about people that have been married at least 15 years. The article reported that newlyweds enjoy a happiness boost that lasts on average for just two years. Uh, Then that special joy, it wears way off and it backs away. As we look at these findings, they discover that if a person gets married and they're getting married based on infatuation versus true, genuine love, or we could say lust instead of true, genuine love, that person, that couple will not be deeply in love with each other because infatuation only will last between 18 and 24 months. So if you are feeling like you are not sure whether you love somebody, if you would wait 18 to 24 months, if you're not 100% sure that you should marry this person, if you would wait 18 to 24 months, and if you're honest in that time of waiting, you're not involved with that person intimately, you would discover whether it is truly true love or whether it is infatuation. As a matter of fact, my wife and I had a long distance relationship for about 15 months. And I wanted to make sure that in our relationship, that it was a God-honoring relationship, first of all, and that it was truly God bringing us together, and I wasn't just infatuated with her, and she wasn't just infatuated with me, because we were totally opposites. I mean, when I say we were opposites, uh, I, my wife is very laid back, and, uh, and she is a true, sweet Southern girl, and, uh, and I'm from New England, and tend to be a little bit on a high-strung side, and uh, a little bit ADHD, and, and uh, I'm one of these people that when we go on vacation, you know, we get up early, and, and we fill the whole day with as many activities as we can. My wife's idea of a great vacation is just hanging around, reading a book, sleeping in till like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, the day is half over by 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and uh, let's get up and do something. So we have learned how to get along on vacations. I get up and I do my adventure time, and uh, and then I, I usually will find like a Chick-fil-A around 11 o'clock, and then I bring Chick-fil-A breakfast or, or lunch back to my wife, and uh, she says, man, this is a great vacation. And I says, I know, I've already been out exploring today, and I know exactly what we're going to do the rest of the day because I've already ventured out here, and I got the whole day planned out for her, okay? So opposites attract in marriage, but then they tend to attack. And if it's a relationship that is based on infatuation, they have discovered that you will be smitten with somebody. And when you're smitten by somebody, uh, you feel like you're in love. It mimics true love, but it's not. And so the hourglass begins to tick away. In about the first two years, 
you can survive infatuation, but then you discover the marriage begins to crumble. It begins to fall apart. So I want to encourage you to remember that God's love for us is a forever love. He's not just infatuated with us. He loves us unconditionally. Now, here's some good news, right? Even if you marry a person and it was based on infatuation, that's not a ticket to divorce. That means you have got to make a conscious decision that you are going to love that person. You know, love is really not a feeling. Love is really more a decision. I can decide to love somebody. I can make that decision to love somebody. And just as God decided to love me, even though I was unlovable, I can make that same decision to love my wife and to love my children and to love them unconditionally, to lower my expectations that I have for them and to make the commitment and the decision to love them forever. Well, I hope that you join me tomorrow. We're going to pick up the second part of this broadcast tomorrow by talking about the remaining reasons of why I know that God loves me. And I know He loves me. I can feel His love. I can learn of His love in God's Word. I know that He will never leave me nor forsake me. My God is with me every step of the way, and nothing can separate me from His love. Whether I feel like He loves me or not really is irrelevant because He promised that He loves me, and He promised that He'd never leave me and never forsake me. So thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.